Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. So who are we on? What we do, we are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Now I do have to put it out there straight away at the beginning of the episode <laughs> that this is probably the hardest week we have faced as rugby fans and podcast hosts since we've started this whole thing. To be positive, that is, yes. Yeah, to be positive, just to get up and do this after the thumping that the Wallabies received over the weekend. I mean, when we had COVID on and we had no rugby to talk about, I thought that was hard, but this seems harder. (laughs) Yeah, I think we had one week off in the entire COVID shutdown. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, do we really want to come back on this week? But I think it was a bit cathartic. I actually went back and watched the KO Mini this afternoon in preparation for tonight, taking a few extra notes and looking at things in more detail without the anger of Saturday night over me. And it was kind of helpful um, in a way. I don't know how you felt watching back the Mini tonight. Yeah, well, so I went out to the game on the weekend and I've had such a busy weekend that I haven't had a chance to watch the full game or the Mini prior to this evening before the pod. Uh, in in person so I've seen bits of highlights here and there obviously I know what happens from being there but when you watch it on the tv yeah I started to realize that it was actually in some ways it was worse than I initially thought (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah no not a good week not a good no it was a very big challenge but anyway um we have been still a bit active on our social platforms so hit us up on instagram facebook and twitter instagram hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page and on twitter at pick underscore drive rugby also our personal accounts as well we post a fair bit from there um so get involved get in touch yeah good stuff Awesome. So what we're going to do tonight, so we will do some spicy news first of all, then we will get into our review of Bledisloe Cup game three. We will, we have, we both have a point to talk about a bit of a rant. So I'll put it out there first of all, so you know, it's coming. If you want to skip to the end and listen to that, I, I would recommend it. No, I'm joking. Um, but we do have a rant coming and I've got a point and has got a separate point. We'll get that over. We won't go too long on that. Um, no, and, we'll time it. Maybe like two minutes each. Or yeah. Like two that. minutes. Yep. We'll keep yep. it sharp, sharp, get it over with, and then we'll look to next week. So we have Bledisloe 4, which we don't normally have in a, in a normal year. So hopefully that's something to look forward to, but we don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. And we'll, we'll talk around what we want to change, what we'd like to see happen, those kinds of things going to Bledisloe 4. Sound good, Ando? Sounds great, mate. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So first of all, let's dive into the spicy, spicy news. Now we'll do this in two chunks. We'll do the domestic side of things, then we'll move on to the international side of things. Um, and to start off the domestic, we have we've had the finals of the Shoot Shield and the Queensland Hospital Cup take place over the weekend. So congratulations must go out to Gordon and the East Tigers, who both were victorious in their given finals. Gordon were victors over Eastwood, twenty-eight to eight. And I, I don't actually have the score for the Queensland one. Do you have that one there? Uh, no, I closed that page, but I'll get okay. up in a sec so whilst we're we talking know, about the shoot shield. We know Easts won, so well done. And um, former Wallabies captain Ben Moen was playing for them as well. So that was great to see. We'll dive into the uh, quickly dive into the Gordon game. Did you get to ch- catch much of this one? Yeah, watch the second half. Um, we were setting up for my one-year-old's birthday party uh, earlier in the day, but I got to have a bit of downtime and watch the second half. And it was a pretty enthralling game. Really, really enjoyed it. The second half was probably the better of the two. 
Okay. The first half had, um, I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but there was a really unusual thing that happened early in the first half. So Gordon scored and they came back to halfway and they just stood there. Um, and the referee was just standing around. And for the longest time, I couldn't figure out what was going on. But what ended up happening was on the far side of Leichhardt Oval, there's the Green Hill. And it was mm-hmm. full of supporters. So one side was Eastwood supporters. The other side was Gordon supporters. But they weren't adhering to COVID rules. They were too close and mingled together. There was like, it was packed. There was a lot of people. And the COVID marshal was trying to split them up. And so they weren't listening. And they said, we're just going to keep the game. We're not going to kick off on the game. We're going to keep it stopped until you adhere to rules and, and disperse. So for a good probably 10 minutes, we just, and it took a long time for the commentators to figure out that was why as well. They're just talking about random bits and pieces and interviewing people on the sidelines. And then they finally announced that's what the reason was. And it was just really, really strange. Uh, 2020 <laughs> for odd. you. Yeah, how good, how good. Uh, so the part that I watched in the second half that really interested me was that period of Eastwood scrum dominance on um, Gordon's line, where there were probably about eight or nine scrums in a row that went down for various reasons. But at one point, Eastwood had three scrum wins in a row where the Gordon prop got yellow carded. And yeah. then they won another one pretty soon after, but didn't get a penalty try as a result of it no so what what ended up happening was it was three penalties in a row then gordon got the yellow card then they packed down one final one and gordon actually won the penalty or and then the next one eastwood won back and it went they They won it back they did yeah yeah. so they what ended up the gordon put a really big push on and the number eight at the back of the scrum um patrick seo scotty seo's brother knocked it on when he went to pick it up and so therefore the scrum feed went to gordon so that sort of negated the the the, the buildup of penalties for the yellow card. But I wonder if it should. Like, I, I kind of got it at the time. I'm like, it's going back and forth. But I just thought that despite the fact that Gordon had won that previous scrum, even then they hadn't really won the scrum insofar as CEO had just knocked it on. Yeah. Um, although partly that was scrum pressure, partly that was a halfback pressure. Yeah. Um, I just still think that even if there is something that gets in the way and they and Eastwood get that extra scrum win after Sia knocks it on, in my mind, that's enough. That's that's like repeated penalties in your own five meter line. That, w- in my mind, was enough to deserve a penalty try. And I, there are a lot of neutral supporters who I've seen, at least a, f- a couple guys I know who are neutral supporters, um, were saying similar things. So yeah. that was a bit contentious. But that being said, as soon as Gordon were able to relieve that pressure, they scored some quick fire, really. Yeah, they nice went down and tries. scored three tries to yeah. seal out the game. So yeah. I mean, it was it awesome. Swings and roundabouts, really. But I, I've got to say that I am a Gordon man. I used to play my juniors for Gordon. So I was very happy to see them win. And um, <laughs> as much as I thought Ed Craig from last week played really, really well. And it was yeah, he was fantastic. Play really well. Um, I was really happy to see Gordon get up. Yeah, I was just going for Eastwood because of Ed Craig. And, uh, and yeah, because, it, so it was good to I watch. was going for Gordon. <laughs> oh, dude, I don't care. Like, uh, Gordon's my closest team if I was to be a uh, died in a wool supporter. But yeah, it was a good game. So congratulations to Gordon. Now, East Tigers, they won 33 to 18. So that's good for them. Um, I don't think we'll go into any detail except no, we to did, say that Ben Moen yeah. was playing number eight and he's likely going to be retiring after having come back from France and doing a stint in club rugby. Um, interesting news. 
and we'll stick with kind of domestic shoot shield stuff. Dane yep. Tane Edmund from Eastwood, so the number 10 for Eastwood, who's only 20 years old, has been signed by the Waratahs. Yeah. So he's going to be competition for Will Harrison in the number 10 jersey, which is pretty great. And he was very good on the weekend. Yeah, he was. Um, he was I haven't good. watched him much in a season, but Ed Craig was speaking highly about him in the pod last week and or the week before whenever it was and it was just yeah really good to see that we've actually locked in a good up-and-coming young player and hopefully that can be a good development for him over the next couple of years get him some actual game time next year um so he is good competition and we don't have another mac mason moment at the waratahs yeah i wonder what that ha- what happens to ben donaldson then considering he's currently our second string five eight um for the waratahs but in saying that i mm-hmm. i think yeah. he's probably still kind of shield level He's, he's a young bloke as well. Yep. Um, well, if Carmichael Hunt doesn't come back, and I'm kind of getting the feeling that he's not going to be, then it could just be that between Walton, Donaldson, Edmund, and Harrison, you've got four 10s and 12s um, that could be interchanging throughout those positions. So that's a possibility that they could maybe see Donaldson as a 12, but not knowing a huge amount about him, I can't really say that with any certainty. I do have to say one quick thing on that point, that if... If the Waratahs have lost Carmichael Hunt for next year, I think that's massive. And that I think it's ridiculous the if fact, they don't sign him again. I mean, there's been a bit of talk around the the sort of socials that he's an older bloke, he or an older player, and fair enough, he is. Um, but he he's not making Wallabies anymore. He probably doesn't bring all that much to the Waratahs. Uh, fairly, a lot of those comments have come from people from other states who aren't diehard Waratahs fans like we are. But in saying that, we don't have a whole lot of experience in the team, but even in the back line now. So he, even this year when he came on, he did have a sort of stop and start year. He had a few in, but when he did play, you could tell that he was calming some of those younger players down, getting them to just stick to their jobs, leading the back line around really well. And some of the games that he wasn't playing was when they panicked, similar to yep. kind of what the Wallabies did this week, uh, this weekend, which we'll talk about when we get to it. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think mm-hmm. we've lost Simmons. We've lost Hooper. We've lost so many of our leaders in the Waratahs next year. Hannigan, we, Hannigan yeah, yep. all of those guys. If we don't, in the forwards, in the backs, we've lost some experience as well. If we don't have a player of his sort of caliber and experience, we're going to struggle a lot. And the, the argument that they have said is that it'd be better to just let the young blokes have a crack, um, get that game time to be able to push for Wallaby's contention. Yeah, I agree with that. But at the same time, if they don't have someone there sort of guiding them around and mentoring them, I don't think they're going to develop half as as well as, as if they had Carmichael there, just, you know, giving them the nod, calming them down when the pressure's on, making sure they're just sticking to their guns, doing the right things. So I think yep. it's massive. I think it's massive. 100% agreed. 100% yeah. agreed. Um, should we keep on going though? And Caden Neville has been yeah. called into the Wallaby squad for as injury cover for Wakan Salakai Loto, who injured it, I think it was his knee in the game it's on his the weekend. Ankle. It's actually his oh, ankle. ankle. Okay, yeah. cool. So it's likely that either A, Rob Simmons will be promoted into the starting team or B, Ned Hannigan might well move across from through lock. I don't think he's the international level lock. No. Um, he did a decent fist of it at super rugby level this year, but I just don't think he's um, a lock. But I think Caden Neville is likely going to be pushing with Trevor Hosea just for that bench spot. I don't yeah. think he's going to walk right into the squad, right into the team. So, oh, well, he, um, he, he can't really. <laughs> yeah, he's only yeah, just exactly. come into the squad. He's probably not going to get much game time if any um i think well not definitely not this weekend yeah but not you this can imagine weekend. that they'll need to give um they'll surely they'll need to give uh i'm having a mental blank Hosea. philip um philip. philip a rest 
because he's played every single game or every minute of the game. I mean, we've only got two games after next week. We only play Argentina twice and then we're done. So, Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know whether they just keep going with Philip and Simmons and then try and blood um, Hosea and keep him as, yeah, okay. as coverage. If one of those guys goes down, that's what I'm thinking. So I'm not sure if he'll okay. get much to game time, but we'll see. I mean, he's come in so late. So yeah, true. Um, okay, a couple of other points. George Ayub, Australian referee, has retired. Or Australian TMO, for... we should say. Well, he was a referee and then progressed. He was, he, he was. Into but TMO. Yeah. 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 So in recent years, he's been solely a TMO and he's been yeah. quite well respected and well regarded. So well done, George. Thank you yeah. for your time and I hope you enjoy retirement. Uh, and as, as well as that, the Australian government has confirmed their official support for the 2027 World Cup bid, which will be announced in May 2022. So there's still a lot of time for things to unfold there before we find out whether or not the World Cup is coming to Australia. Jeez, I hope so. We need it. The game needs yeah. it. We need a shot Ooh, in the arm, yes. particularly Ooh, after yes. this weekend. <laughs> yes, but unfortunately, we're not going to find out for uh, about eighteen months. Um, which but is by that sad. point, the bat. By that point, we may not even have rugby union in this country anymore. Hey, come if on! We're listen, a positive podcast. Uh, if you listen, what, um, if you listen to what sorry, some people sorry. are saying, that's all I'm saying. I don't <laughs> think so. Us diehard that's fans true. will always be here. We'll be here week in, week out. We'll be here in the off season. We'll up still be doing out. a pod, a weekly pod, even when there's no rugby. Somehow yeah. we'll find something to talk about. Are we talking about um, Russian rugby or something? <laughs> <laughs> okay, international news. So England have wrapped up the Six Nations with a 34-5 to victory over Italy in the Six Nations. That's their third win in the last five years. They actually finished on equal points with France, but had a better points differential. France defeated Ireland 35-27 to in a high-scoring and close encounter in Paris while Scotland, for the first time in 18 years, beat Wales 14 to 10 away in Wales. And fascinatingly, that was Alan Wynne-Jones, one of the best rugby players of all time, most loved rugby players of all time, uh, has topped the test appearance, test caps, with 149 appearances, beating Richie McCaw's 148. So unfortunately, it wasn't a great celebration with a 14-10 loss, but huge congratulations to the gentleman and the warrior, Alan Wynne-Jones, for reaching that record. And he's probably still got a year or two more in him as well. So Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. It's crazy to think where he is in his career right now. He could be... He People are saying that he could see through to the next World Cup, that he's in that good form at the moment. So it's crazy to see who knows how many caps he'll get to. Uh, look, I'd be very surprised if he got to the next World Cup because he would be 39 by that point. Uh, so maybe 38, but he would just... Uh, uh, he's still good. I just think that maybe over the next 12 months, you may well see him begin after the Autumn Nations Cup. I think he'll start to get phased out or at least interchange with some younger players to have a transitionary period for him finishing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that's what some people say. Yeah, and they're wrong. And, anyway. and I guess like <laughs> the the British and Irish Lions don't actually count as ca- test caps, do they? I don't think so. I think no, because you're yeah, you're in your its own thing. So he he'll be there for sure next yep. year. Um yep. so I don't think but those games won't count. Correct. But, yeah. I'm just, not sure if he'll even be in the starting team for the British and Irish Lions. Like oh, but he's got some pretty stiff competition. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent in the squad. Even if just but, for midweek games and, and leadership. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Or even a bench spot as well. Yeah. Anyway, why don't we 
bite the bullet and actually start talking about the game. Over oh, there was one last point that we didn't write down that we should just quickly mention around uh, broadcast rights. For oh, Australia. yeah, 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 yeah. Now, this yeah, hasn't perfect. this hasn't been officially confirmed yet, but this, the kind of whispers are that Rugby Australia has agreed and is waiting on a further counteroffer from an, from Foxtel, but they have agreed to a deal with Channel 9, which will see Super Rugby and International Rugby shown on Channel 9 next year with the sort of more, uh, I, I guess the format would be maybe one game a week of Super Rugby on Channel 9 and the rest being on their streaming service Stan. So, um, yeah, we don't know exactly what the amount is that has been agreed to, but what from what I've Red, it sounds like they're waiting on Foxtel to bring in a counter offer before they officially announce it and agree. But that that's that sounds really promising to me that they've gone with the free to air partner. I would love that for two reasons one, actually, three reasons one, free to air, two, we already have stands, so I wouldn't be paying for anything. <laughs> and three, it means that we would no longer have Rod Kafer commentating for rugby. Well, we hope, I not. hope not. We hope I not. Hope not. Oh, I, ha- I nearly turned the um the commentary off and found like a radio commentary of it on the weekend. I was getting so frustrated with the. That's what the was good about being out there. I didn't have to listen to him. Oh, you lucky human being. <laughs> um. Anyway, anyway, let's save that for the actual game. The commentary yeah. on the game. Awesome. Should All we right. move on then? Should we let's get to the move game? into the game? <laughs> Okay, Bledisloe 3 was played at ANZ Stadium on the weekend in pretty wet and miserable conditions. And those wet and miserable feelings were also imparted upon the Australian fans who witnessed an absolute shellacking of a, a 43-5 defeat at the hands of an All Blacks team that were better in nearly every single facet of the game. So, Mitch, you were out there at the game, mate. Yeah. I know that some of what I'm about to ask will be something that you're going to say in your rant, but <laughs> what was it like actually being out at the game? I didn't go because I've been getting over a sickness and I had my one-year-old's birthday party, but how were things out there? At the I've got to say it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was really? um yeah it really was like it was pouring with rain we were sitting in the rain we were not undercover um and the wallabies just did not perform we yeah we were surrounded by all blacks fans and it got to the point where they were laughing at the wallabies that i, I just yeah it was horrible it felt like yeah. we were it felt and i've i've experienced this a few times the last few years that i've been to anz like we were actually playing a home game for the all blacks because there's that many fans for new zealand that show up um that yeah you just you just surrounded by them all the time and they're cheering for new zealand they cheer in the haka they laugh at the wallabies and it's really yeah it hurts and it's hard because we don't have anything to laugh back at hey yeah <laughs> that's I was like i couldn't like... even yell anything back at them i just had to sit just there like, and oh, just be like please stop and laughing. just cop it yeah, but they were at it. the end. They were even like, "Oh, let them score. It's okay. We're so far ahead." And then they didn't score. We drop it, and they just laugh. And they're like, "Oh my gosh!" And then, um, like when Mitch, Richie Mwanga just broke through and scored a try, they just laughing and yeah. yeah, it's it's tough, isn't it? I actually find um, New Zealand supporters can either go two ways, and it's probably the same for Aussie supporters, but I'm an Aussie see it. But New Zealand supporters can either genuinely be really humble and just enjoy the rugby and not kind of rub it in your face. And it probably goes the same for any freaking supporter base in any game. Yeah. Um, or they can just be the most freaking obnoxious 
uh, arrogant uh, fans that just love to rub it in your face. And maybe it's because I'm sensitive. Maybe it's because <laughs> Wallabies have sucked for a long time <laughs> that I just feel it more. Yeah. But I always, I always find it hard watching being having having New Zealand fans around. Yeah, um, I, like I will say in their defence, like they weren't derogative at all. They weren't offensive, and they weren't personal. Um, okay. Yep. They were just, you know, they were also just watching the spectacle that was unfolding, and I think they were as well just dis couldn't believe how bad the wallabies were playing and how easy well, exactly all blacks were finding it as well so exactly so let's jump into our first question we actually have five questions we're going to run through so i'll read them out and then we'll jump into the first one so one what was the most disappointing aspect of the match two who stood out to you good and bad three was this outcome to be expected four what would you change for next week five is australia disadvantaged by playing new zealand too often and then we'll follow it up with our rant so mitch i'm going to start off with you mate what was the most disappointing aspect of the match oh where do i start which point do i begin with um just the fact that the wallabies didn't fire a shot at all the whole game i mean they scored a try but i could have scored that try like bataille did well to set set up for it um lalesio didn't deserve to score that in some ways it's probably unfair that he scored it because of how badly he played um but yeah just the most disappointing thing was that we got done so badly at home of the first time we played under this coach coaching structure with this team um in australia and we just didn't didn't show up at all for me that was the most disappointing thing and the fact that we had played so well the previous weeks and there had been this momentum building i think the australian rugby fans needed a good performance to really just, you know, okay, we can stick with these guys. And there's a lot of questions being asked now of supporters as well. Like, why do we bother? I know. And that was part of it. I was just having some real existential moments. <laughs> why do I care? Why do I care when you do nothing but hurt me? Yeah. <laughs> it's all one way. It's painful. Oh, where's your love for me? Um, and it genuinely is painful, but, Oh, oh, and that's just it. Like the, my most disappointing aspect of it was that we were our own worst enemies. Mm. Like, okay, yes, New Zealand were good and they were a better team. They executed, they played for the conditions better. They had better structures and blah, 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 blah. They were good. They deserved to win. We did not deserve to win. But we, to a large extent, didn't deserve to win because of unforced errors that we were making like the number of times we dropped the ball the number of times we tried to force miracle offloads like around um trying to get your arm through the tackle tackle and loop it around the back of the tackling player yeah Uh, oh just on so many occasions decent half breaks where if the if the attacking wallaby had just taken it to the ground quick recycle and then have a player like like what Alessio did, just have a player running hard onto it after a quick recycle off a half yeah, break. Exactly. Yeah. And you you break the line or force it a penalty for offside. But so many times our players just showed their inexperience and panicked and went for these offloads and these miracle plays that just did not work. Um, so my most disappointing feature of or aspect of the match was our lack of composure in times where we've proven we have the skills to upset the New Zealand defense, but then we just couldn't have that composure and experience to be able to 
uh, exploit that or to be able to finish that off like mm. New Zealand were so, so effective. At. Yeah. And there's so many more disappointing aspects we could go into, but we just want to <laughs> try and uh, narrow things down. Um, who stood out to you, good and bad? Where do we start? Do we start on the good or the bad? Um, I think we start... Let's, let's not try to go too deep into the bad, otherwise yeah. we could identify way too many players, but let's yeah, start yeah, with yeah. a few of the bad and then we'll see if I there's any highlights. We'll start We'll start from a Wallabies perspective and we'll move over to the All Blacks because I think we do need to talk briefly about them as well yeah, uh, yeah, in this performance. Yep. So for me, yep. who played badly, uh, Noah D'Alessio is the top of my list. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not... I don't want to be personal about it. I just think that he was... He's too young... He wasn't ready to be thrown in at the starting 10 position against the All Blacks. And I did say this in our sort of our video this week that it'll go either one of two ways. We'll either do really mm-hmm. well and pull something out of the bag and amaze everyone, or it'll just go to poop. And it really did go to poop. Um, he just looked lost in every aspect of the game. He was lost in defense. He was lost in attack. He was doing nothing right, unfortunately. Like he couldn't even get the basics of getting the ball into touch when we had the oh advantage. Oh my gosh! Like I like just died inside when he missed that kick to touch. And then freaking um, Kafer is like, oh, maybe it was anyway. I'll say it was Kafer. Um, <laughs> he was like, oh yeah, I don't mind that he's going to sh- as close to the close to the try line as he possibly can. I'm like, make sure it goes out. Just get it out. Oh, just get it out and actually have some opportunity for pressure to be caused, uh, to be placed upon the New Zealand defence. Oh, anyway, yes. So Lalesio is one for you. Um, I think I was actually a bit disappointed with Michael Hooper. Ooh. Now, I say that everybody knowing, like I'm literally wearing a Waratahs jacket right now. Um, <laughs> Hooper is a demigod in my eyes. Um but I just think that there needs to be some responsibility taken by the experienced heads in the team for the lack of experience that was being shown at regular points throughout the game by the players. So Dungunu's stupid play off that uh, the yellow um, card. got yellow carded. Uh, the regular poor kicking decisions that they were making in first second or third phase play after we've just got the ball back Um, the poor offloads that we're trying to make in traffic all of those things are to an extent caused by lack of experience and you needed people such as Alatoa such as Slipper such as Hooper to kind of shutting it down and there was one example I want to specifically give in relation so in the 63rd minute um the Aussies make a break down the right-hand side and Kane comes in on the side and gives away a penalty, right? Michael Hooper like speaks to the ref and he doesn't approach it in a conversational, in a respectful, a respectful manner. Way, yeah. He drops the, that was effing cynical. That's a yellow card. Isn't that a yellow card? That's cynical. And the fact that he started it with the F-bomb, I, I don't personally care, but the way that he's addressing the referee like that in the heat of the moment is not going to get that, that, that conversation going from a position of respect where the ref's actually going to listen to you. If you start by swearing that immediately is going to put the ref on side, particularly in rugby union. Hmm. And I just thought that there, though that type of moment is where he needs to be stepping up and having a long conversation with the ref, if the ref will allow it. And he just didn't seem to have, 
the impact from a leadership point of view I would be wanting. I think yeah. his work rate was still strong. He still was working so incredibly hard, but I just, I'm not convinced on the impact of his leadership through communication with the other players. Yeah. And I think it's something that we've, um, we've seen in the last few years now that um, at when, when Michael Hooper is captain, particularly for the Wallabies more so than the Waratahs, but he doesn't manage that um, referee relationship very well. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't seem to have dialogue with the referee at all. You very, very rarely see him coming up and just chatting around, uh, around certain things when they're sort of, when a try has been scored against them or they're under the sticks or there's a pause in play. You see um, players like Nick White doing it a lot more. And that's more of a disadvantage than anything because because <laughs> it's Nick a yappy scrum half talking. It's, to the yeah, ref. and it, and Nick White's not the one to do that, so he gets dismissed, and then that message gets lost. Now, half the time, Nick White's actually saying something legitimate. Now, he's last week he was talking, or last game, Bledisloe two, he was trying to talk to the referee um, around the the scrum and getting the ball in and and when it was stable and all this kind of stuff. But the referee just said, no, you're not the captain, go away. Now, Nick White just needs to go up to Hooper and tell him to say, you need to talk to him about this. But you never saw Hooper approach the referee and have those conversations. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Why don't we go one more poor player each and then move on to some more players we thought Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to quickly uh, say, link to that that last point you made around lack of leadership. Now, I think it's a hard hard thing in a rugby team to have... um, one leader leading the whole team. Mm. Now we've seen it in the past that the the Wallabies will have a forwards and a backs leader. So Michael yep. Hooper will lead the team around and be the the point of contact for the referee, but he leads the forward pack. And then we've got someone like Matt Tamua or James O'Connor, one of those experienced players leading the back line. Now this week, that person should have been Dane Hale Petty, but he wasn't doing yep. it. Agreed. Um, and that nope. was the issue. These These guys are so raw, so young have no experience at this level and they were overawed. They were out of their depth. They needed someone to come and just calm them down and and have a word with them and say, it's all right. We'll get through this, you know, like just, just get them back on track. Dane Haley Petty needed to be that person this week. Normally it would be someone like Matt Tamua and he's really good at doing that. Um, But we lost both of those players. And I think that was the biggest point. I think um, Michael Hooper should have done it as captain, but it is a little bit hard for him as a, as a f- open side flanker to come up to a center and say, you know, you're doing all right. Just, you know, make your tackles. Because, Get your alignment better. Make sure you're yeah. on the outside shoulder a bit more in attack. He doesn't, or, he can't blah, blah, blah. really like, he can't, yeah, exactly. he doesn't know what to say. Whereas someone like Dana Hale Petty, who, if you think about it as well, is the captain of the Rebels, should be doing that. Um, and we Especially saw Especially when he's at 15 and he's got a better vision of the backline players. And you could see it as well, like in the game, after the first 20 minutes, the, the All Blacks had scored two or three tries by that point and um, both Simone and Batea's heads just, uh, uh, sorry, Lalesio's heads dropped yep. and they were just looking down. And there was footage that came out after the game in the change room that Lalesio just looked absolutely shattered. And fair enough, he didn't play well. But James O'Connor was sitting next to him and giving him a pep talk and sort of, you know, I don't know what he was saying, but you'd be thinking something on the lines of like, it's all right, mate. This is a, these are the best guys in the world. Like you, you're so young, you've done well to get here, all that kind of stuff. He needed mm. someone on the field to do that in the 25th yep. minute where he could sort yep. of turn that mental thing around. And I think that was the issue mostly that these guys just went to pieces and it got worse and worse and worse. They never bounced back from it. 
Yeah. So my final who stood out to me bad is Felipe Donguni. Um, I obviously that yellow card is a negative on him, but people can point to the fact that he got a little bit of a bump right before he went in. But the problem that he did was that he still wrapped his arms around the legs of the player up in the air even after he had received that bump if he'd kept his arms down or even just tried to brace himself going through he could justifiably have said i got pushed by a new zealand player into his legs and he may have escaped the yellow card but because he wrapped his arms around the player he he deserved it now whatever that's a yellow card the player wasn't injured okay cool these things happen, but he's got a track record of doing dangerous tackles and previously and taking a player in the air over the last couple of seasons. And then even after that, he wasn't particularly effective either. Like he nearly gave away a try in the second half by dropping a sitter of a high ball. Yeah. And then and do you remember the one where he dropped it and then it like, kicked, oh yeah. yeah. And then they very luckily knocked it on a couple of recycles later. Um, but he has had, he was really poor in game two. He was very poor in this game. He set the world alight in his first game. He was fantastic. But I think the I whole just, team was, though. Yeah, Everyone yeah I know. Everyone played well that game. I just wonder if it's time to give someone like Tom Wright or even James Ram, James Ram's a kicker and mm. having in the back line. So well, he I'm he not. Can kick. Like, he showed in this game that he can kick. Backwards yeah, but he's into not the as good as Ram. no, I'm, jo- <laughs> I'm joking. Backwards into the arms of the coming fly half, you know. Trick. It depends um, what direction you want it to go. I guess that is a valid point. So yeah, that's my thought. I just yeah, um, I wanted to say around that. I mean, one thing that I've noticed with Filippo Dungunu this year is that at the beginning of the year he copped a pretty bad suspension from a, a, a horrendous tip tackle in um, the trial match against the Waratahs. Sat out yep. for a few weeks and didn't get his season off to a good start. And he had a few incidents last year as well. I was I was worried when he made that initial contact and got the yellow card that he was going to see red um, in yep. like get angry and do something silly, but he didn't. He yeah, put, didn't sure. have the best game, but he pulled it back. Um, and he there was a few times that I noticed going back through and watching this um, the the mini this afternoon that Caleb Clark was in his face a lot in this game. There was yep. a lot of push and shove off the ball, and Dungunu just did not commit at all. There was one point where um, he tackles him, Clark tackles Dungunu over the sideline, stands up and then slaps him across the face with like an open hand sort of slap. And Dungunu just gets up and gets back into play. Now, if that was Nick White, he would, he would have copped a, a jaw full or something. So I can, yeah. at least he's calming down. Yeah, good on him. Okay, well, I still think he might be somebody who loses his spot for next week. Mm-hmm. But why don't we shift now to some players that we think had okay games, even if no Australian player really set the world alight? Do I need to start with that? Because I actually don't have anyone I can say played okay. Okay, I'll say... From the Australian side, I mean. From the Australian side. Yeah, look, I'm going to say oh, from the Australian I'll say side. one. Actually, I do have one. So I will stay yep. my one person was... Marika Korobetti was probably the yeah, best cool. Wallabies yep. player on park. I think um, so, yeah. He was the only one that kind of really kept trying. He made a few errors as he dropped a few balls, which he's uncharacteristic of him, but he's been doing a lot of more and more recently. But he still did that terrific try saver in the first half and mm-hmm. nearly scored in the end of the second half. And he just never stopped. And he was making, he was still making meters right up and he still played the full 80. So, yeah, correct. So he would be the player that I think was probably the best from the Australian side. The only other two players I thought weren't particularly bad. I thought Alatoa was all right. Um, 
the Australian forwards found it tough, mostly because they were having to defend for such long periods of time that when they eventually got the ball, well, the backs usually just kicked it away after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, people are probably going to groan when I say this, so I'm really sorry, but I didn't think Hannigan was particularly bad. The only reason why I'm putting that out there is because I keep seeing the same people on the socials just saying, drop Hannigan, drop Hannigan. And I just don't think he's the problem. I just don't think that, he has been particularly poor. I actually think that last week he was pretty good and yeah. that on the weekend he wasn't bad. He didn't really do anything that was wrong and his mistakes, I can't think of any mistake that he did except for dropping a high ball when he was trying to cover after it. Um, I can't think of anything specific, but he kept working hard in defense. He kept working hard in attack and our line out was pretty secure generally throughout yeah. the game. So I... I'm just not convinced that he is the problem Mm -hmm. that we would need to fix. Now, it's not like a ringing endorsement, but I'm just putting it out there because I'm defensive towards Shed Hannigan. (laughs) um, I think he cops some unwarranted criticism. Yeah, Why don't we shift across? Saying that, I just want to just quickly say, I I do think that the Wallabies forward pack was okay this game. Like they, they fell off some easy tackles. The backs fell off more. But they did their basics right. The scrum was pretty solid. The lineout was generally okay. Ulessi threw a few um, curveballs when he got on. But apart from that, they they did their basics okay. We didn't turn over too much ball at the breakdown. And I think a lot of that breakdown work, I don't want to be ringing the same bell, but the referee was very quick to call um, penalties to the All Blacks, not so quick on us. Oh, so. Mate. Like they got Stop straight. my rant, mate. Stop I'm just saying he got straight over the ball and he's he's called it straight away when there's no chance for a clean out. Yet we come in on the ball and and get cleaned out and he's like, no, nah, you got cleaned out, you didn't get it. But yeah, anyway, yep. um, yeah, yep. I thought they were okay. They yeah. Okay, let's shift to the good players. And that's, well, actually, let's shift to New Zealand. Um, <laughs> Moanga was, yeah, the good team. Moanga was incredible this game. He had his best game in New Zealand jersey. And he, everything he touched was golden. He's very attractive. He's got a very chiseled jaw. Oh, I forgot like, you have a crush just, on Malanga. Oh, I've got a crush on him. His facial hair, the, <laughs> That's the right, straight I hard this. edges of his facial hair is just impressive and to make me wish I was more of a man in his mold. So does but, that yeah. does that make it easier for you when he scored? It really three, does. Yeah. Three tries. <laughs> you like, actually like him. It's all right. If Malanga <laughs> scores it, it's fine. If Barrett does it, I'm not happy. If Dane Coles does it, I'm not happy. Oh, well, he I'm so bonded, glad he so. didn't get that try. <laughs> I actually thought that was a legit try. I was so surprised when that was called back for not being a try. That's I agree. Yeah, I thought it was a try. Um, anyway, anyway, so apart from Mwanga just being incredible, who was it that shone for you? Yeah, um, individuals. I I really just think Mwanga was what turned it for the All Blacks this week. Um, he played really, really well. I can't think of anyone else who stands out particularly. Um, a lot of the tries that they scored were off silly mistakes from us. Like the first try they scored of the game, um, I mind blank of what his his name first is. First try was Carl Tuin. Yeah, that's Tuin Carl. New yeah, I, I'm not quite sure. I'm how to sorry. His name. I need to learn how to pronounce that properly. <laughs> but uh, he, big Carl. Yeah, he makes a break and then he actually stops and Alatoa sort of hits him and carries him over the line. And you can see it for when he didn't even think he scored because the referee blows his whistle and you you see him on the ground. He's actually in the process of playing the ball back because he doesn't think he's over the line. Um, and so <laughs> he that's so nearly bombed that. Hey, well, uh, that's not his fault. 
he he stopped. His momentum stopped a few about a not a meter, but a few centimeters out, and Alatoa carries him back over in goal and scores a try. So that's what I was yeah. saying. Like he that was um that was our mistake that we did that. Um, a few other things as well. So yeah, uh, a player that stood out for me really was Richie Mawanga. Um, Jordy Barrett was okay here and there. He did his things right, but overall, yeah, the All Blacks kind of just stuck to their to their guns, really. Yep, yep, they were just impressive across the field. I thought Sam Whitelock was excellent at just demolishing our attacking malls. Um, we'll Legally talk about that in a bit more detail awesome. later. Yeah, this, it's an inter- it's a genuinely an interesting question. We yeah. even looked up the laws to try and figure out what, what he was doing was legal or not. Um, but either way, it was effective without a doubt. Uh, I thought Hoskins Satutu at number eight was pretty fantastic. A couple of their tries came from really nice plays off the back of scrums where he was um, the initiator of the play. So credit to him for being strong, stable, and being able to come into the team and execute on these little backline short side plays. Um, yeah, look, we could genuinely go through the majority of the New Zealand team and say how good they were. Mm. I don't want to do that because I don't yeah. like them very much. <laughs> but <laughs> credit to them. They were good. They deserve the win. Why don't we shift now to I've our third one, question? I've got one quick oh, thing to say okay. just before we move over. Um, yep. And that was around, it ties into this a little bit. Richie Mawanga was having a field day uh, due to our questionable defensive tactic of dropping Lalesio yeah. from 10 yep, yep, into yep. fullback and Dane Hale at Petty not actually defending in the 10 channel. Like I don't even, the two tries that Richie Mawanga scored um, were directly through Lalesio's mistakes. Poor now, positioning, yeah. Yeah. And then he just ghosted past him. Yeah, exactly. Now, yep. Lalesio's at fullback. Dana Haylett Petty's in the in the line somewhere. The first try, he's actually on the wing, on the blind side wing when there doesn't need to be. Um, and Lalesio's at fullback. He kicks the ball over the top, regathers it, and Lalesio's just sort of like ghosts next to him, trying to stop the offload, but he's the last line of defense and Mwanga just glides right around him. Yeah, Mwanga just through. does a nice step off his right and then gets yeah. on the wrong, wrong but angle. But Lalesio is yeah. never in the position to tackle him. Yeah, um, he was too deep. He was too deep to be able to get to him as he's regathering the ball. But as he sort of, um, but he's still running onto it. So he's, he just doesn't ever, he just never gets into a position to actually contest Mwanga. He just sort of yeah. floats there. And it's, it's, you can tell that that, that is his, uh, inexperience and he just he was lost he didn't know where he yeah. needed to be or what he needed to be doing in that instance but Mawanga knew that and he scored nearly three tries he bombed the third one um or the second one whichever right before full t- uh, half time where he he got ankle yep. tapped and then offloaded yep. it but he did the same thing he knew that Lalesio was lost out there and he just targeted that clever kicks over the top um just sort of getting on the outside of Lalesio or just committing him to the tackle but then Alessio didn't have the the courage really to commit to it and take him down and I think what was really frustrating about that is because we've seen it so often and we saw that so often with the Wallabies under Checkers reign that they would just try and hide like Foley or Quade Cooper when it was him at 10 they just hide him at fullback and you're just thinking no if or Kurtley Beal actually when he played 10 yeah. for a bit too it's just they either defend in the 10 channel and they can defend there or they just don't freaking play Yeah. because what happens is Alessio hasn't played a single game at 15 defending at 15 for the Brumbies this season. At least I cannot recall him no, doing he, that. He didn't. Maybe I'm wrong. No, he didn't. I don't recall him doing it. No, he didn't. And then he's expected to step up and defend at 15 against Bowden Barrett, Richie Mwanga 
in a Bledisloe Geordie deciding, Barrett. yeah, yeah, like a deciding match in a Bledisloe series. It just doesn't make sense. And somebody was pointing out today that actually this is something that Matt Taylor did with Quade Cooper at the Queensland Reds before he went overseas like seven or eight years ago. Yeah. So I really hope this isn't going to be a continued feature. It hadn't been in the previous two games. I mean, James O'Connor is a pretty good defender, so he can play in the line. Lalesio, from what I recall of him, doesn't shirk away from his tackles. So don't hide him. Let him play at 10 in the defensive line or just don't freaking start him. But why did they keep doing it? Why They stuck with that same pattern in the second half as well. Oh, I don't know. And they scored so many points through that that weakness. Yep. And Hewitt Petty's like a decent defensive fullback. So I just think maybe, maybe there's something that you and I aren't seeing where they're manipulating Hewitt Petty around the field and then causing Lalesio to do the pendulum defense to he's go like, and yeah, cover He's like, yeah, he's plugging some other hole somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And then they're exploiting that. That's potentially it. But yeah, look, I, I think we need to keep moving I, on. Um, I just want to quick, I just wanted to quick, yeah, I just wanted to say in that, that when I was at the game, I texted you a few times when they scored and I was like, where is Hale Petty? There's so much space yep. out the back and they keep finding it. I couldn't yep. tell that Lalesio was the one that was out there until I watched the replay. And now it makes yeah. so much sense. But you were probably wondering like why I was kept saying, where's Hale Petty? Why is he finding <laughs> so much space? But you never said you never said that Lalesio's defending at fullback. I would have been like, I'm going to oh. check my message history now. Thank you. I'm <laughs> fairly sure I did, but carry on. Um, let's go. Did you expect this outcome? So in our video um, preview that we put up on socials, what on Friday, yep. I think Thursday, Friday, uh, you did speak to this a little bit. So did you expect this outcome? Um, I won't say that I full heartedly expected it because I am still a naive Wallabies fan who thinks that we're going to beat the, and you beat still the tip all blacks the every anyway. single year and bring home the Bledisloe, which we clearly are <laughs> never ever going to do again. Um, but that was tongue in cheek, everyone. We will get there one day. Uh, we will get there one. <laughs> but yeah, at the time when I was sitting out at ANZ and, and in the rain and they just kept scoring points, I was just filthy and like, why am I here? This is horrible. But w- once I got home, was driving home and was thinking it through, I really and calmed down and sort of got out of that, that un biased or that biased wallabies opinion that we always have and that those fog horn, <laughs> those fog glasses that we wear but it, yep. there really was not going to be any other outcome to this was there when we think about it we've lost 10 and 12 our two most experienced backline players just weren't we're both out injured we're debuting players in those positions we don't even have someone who can come in and and her is a reasonable replacement these guys have never played at this level before against a firing all blacks team who were playing for the Bledisloe. it really was never going to go any other way yeah yeah and look i just want everybody to be aware of this um i'm saying it on a pod you sent me a message saying where is dhp i replied saying well lesio is playing fullback on d thank you very much Uh, the crowd has spoken all right anyway who cares um so I, I agree with you. I think I I was hoping for Wallabies, um, but I was just being very idealistic and wishing. I mean, my whole narrative around James O'Connor scoring like a penalty or a conversion after extra time <laughs> couldn't even come through because he was freaking injured, but we didn't find it out until later. Um, I Realistically, you look at all the changes that were forced upon the Aussies um, through injury in a back line, and you look at the defensive strategy that they decided to put in place to hide Alessio, even though I don't inherently think he needed to be hid. 
And you also consider the cohesion theory that Ben yeah. Darwin talks about through game line analytics and you just go, well, how's Australia going to go when they have such a varied team? There's been a lot of changes, players that haven't played together extensively at super or international level going up against a very well-drilled, a very settled New Zealand team who are at the top of their game. There's only one outcome. And if I'd been putting money on things i never would have put money on australia to win i only wanted them to win yeah um it's i don't think we should have expected anything different yeah i mean i've i've been thinking this little point through the last few days well yeah the last since the game really uh that it's so 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 those positions that we lost our those players in are so pivotal if we had lost like a 13 and or a winger we could have we we could have recovered the fact that we both both O'Connor and and Tamua is huge. Now, I was trying to think if the if the All Blacks found themselves in the same position, so Richie Mwang is out and Bowden Barrett's out injured, would they have been as affected? I don't know. Probably not because they bring Josh Iwani in at ten, and then Jordy Barrett could slot back into fifteen, and they just bring like someone like Sever Reese on to start at uh, wing. And so Sever Reese has been here over the last couple of years. Jordy Barrett has been killing it at the hot. Highlanders, Hurricanes, Highlanders, Hurricanes, Hurricanes, yeah, Hurricanes. Um, and Joshuani has been around the team over the last eighteen months as well. Yeah, so he's he's had a few run-ons too. So he's got some experience there. Like they they have their succession planning going oh, so yeah, well, exactly. And that's one of the issues that we've had in Aussie rugby is succession planning has been so poor. And you can't blame the current coaching setup for that right now. Well, there's no um, alternative. There is no alternative. No, that's exactly, exactly. There is no alternative. Like which of the other tens in the country do you bring in? John Lance? I don't think that's, he's even in the We were talking right about now. that after the game. He is yeah. he's staying on for um, next year. But uh, that's what we're talking about after the game, that if they don't put Lalesio at 10, who else do they bring in? Reese Hodge to start at 10? Well, he's not a freaking 10. Yeah, I exactly. don't care he's how much not, he trains during the week. He's not a 10. He's not a 10, so you don't start him. So you start Lalesio hoping that he's going to play well. If you don't start Lalesio, you have to start yeah. Will Harrison. We probably would have had the same outcome. If we don't yeah. start Will Harrison, the only other available 10 in Australian rugby is John O'Lance. Yep. Crazy. And now let's actually move on, mate. Let's option. go to what would you change? What would you change for next week? Because I actually want to just keep the thing going. Otherwise, we'll just yeah, randomly uh, we talk about it for ages. So what are you going to change? You are Dave Rennie right now. What are you changing in the p- style of play? And what are you play changing in the squad in the 23? So is James O'Connor injured or not injured? No, he's meant to be back for. So I can like choose. I can choose James. You O'Connor. can, yes. Okay, yes. I choose James O'Connor at ten. Yep. Um, I would probably leave Simone at twelve. I don't think he was yeah. horrible. Okay. He he fell into the same position that um Lalesio fell into that he just didn't have someone there to to guide him and the the back line just wasn't engaged with Alessio leading them around. So yep. I'd probably leave him there and try and get him a little bit more experience. Leave Hodge on the bench as well to come in. Yep. Um, I'd probably take Dane Hale Petty out of fullback and I don't know who I'd replace him with though because I haven't been that impressed with Tom Banks, but It's an interesting one, isn't it? So, I mean, let's just start with the forward pack actually. Are you seeing any major changes? Would you just have um, Rob Simmons come straight in and then Jose on the bench for the locks because Salakai Loto is injured? Yeah, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be leaving Alatoa uh, to start and bringing Tupo off the bench. Yep. I think he's a better scrummager and, and 
Tupo can come on and, and as I've always said, run ragged for the last 20, 30 minutes. Yep. Um, I'd leave Hannigan at six just to see if he can build some momentum. Yep. Um, I would leave, although in saying that, I wouldn't mind seeing um, Liam Wright come in and start at six, considering that Hannigan's had two cracks at it now and hasn't really cemented his spot there. And No, it, I mean, he could be that bench lock back row, potentially. Yeah. Well, both of yeah, both of those guys could do that position. Um, yep. Yeah, so maybe start Liam Wright, leave Harry Wilson at eight, and Hooper at seven. Uh, yeah, that's my back. That and I would I would start Tate McDermott. Yeah, okay. You reckon he deserves a start? Yeah, I think he was better than Nick White this week. I know he only came on for twenty five minutes or so, but he he took the line on a lot more. He was running. He was playing the game plan that Nick White played in Bledisloe one this week where for whatever reason, Nick White just wasn't, just was nullified or something this week. I don't know what it was, but he just was off. Yeah. He did some better box kicks this week than in game two. Uh, so his contestable kicking did improve. They put it down Caleb Clark's throat. They didn't smash him like they were talking about during the week, but they did uh, negate Clark quite well throughout the game. He had one or two good runs, yep. um, but he was nowhere near as devastating. Oh, they were on him. Game. When he got the ball, they were on him this week. They didn't let him get a yeah. run up. Yeah. They tried to smash him. We got a yellow card. So, <laughs> um, okay. So, and then backline. What any any particular changes apart from bringing O'Connor back in at ten? You'd leave Patara at thirteen, Dungunu and yep. Karabedi at. Well, yeah, I like that. I like that combination. I do. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And I, you I probably think it, leave Haylett Petty at fifteen. No, I think we bring Tom Banks back. Haylett. Okay. I mean, in saying that, there's two there's two ways it could go because. The reason that Haylett Petty wasn't doing so well this week was because he, because of that hiding Lalesio factor, that yeah. when they were exposed, Haylett Petty wasn't in position. So mm-hmm. if we had James O'Connor at ten, then Haylett Petty can actually play fullback for the full game and not have to yeah. move out of position. So maybe we try that and we see how he goes, and that could be our backup fifteen option. I don't know. We mm-hmm. still haven't got a, a starting one. I leave. Yep. Corabetti and and Dungudu on the wings because those guys I think will be our um, our wingers our starting wingers moving forward for the next few years. So let's just yeah, leave okay. them there, give them time in the, that position. They'll get better. Dungudu's young; he's only had this is his fourth cap. So if he doesn't come out and do something silly in the beginning of the game like he did this week, I think he'll grow into that spot. Yeah, cool. So I'd be much the same. I don't think there's any major changes in a forward pack required except for the lock position. I could potentially see Liam Wright come in uh, to start at six, but I don't think we make any changes yet, um, except for obviously you'd need to have Rob Simmons uh, come in or yeah, Rob Simmons come in to start. Um, Probably Hosea on the bench. I'm confused as to why Fraser McWright is there on the bench. I see him solely as a seven. Uh, and I don't really see the value of having him on the bench. Either he starts or he's not on the bench. Well, he came um, on and played six this week and then let in the yeah, he did. first and then, scrum. <laughs> yeah, so Hannigan, what, moved to eight and Wilson came yeah, off? Yeah, so in that in that scrum that he came on, that first one was when um, uh, Satutu took the ball off the back and fed it straight to Yuani, who crosses yeah. in the corner. And Hooper yep. and Hannigan make it across in cover defense faster than... Uh, than McWright does, who's the blind side. Who was on the blind side. Yeah, yeah. and he's still, he's still bound. But you could you chalk that up to it's his first scrum in international rugby. He 
bit overawed by it all. And he's just trying to support his prop and yeah. make sure his prop doesn't go backwards that close to the line. Yeah, exactly. Um, they were going to score yeah. regardless in that position. They were. They were. Um, yeah, I just don't think McWright should be on the bench. Uh, I think either you give Hooper a rest, maybe against Argentina for one of the games. Yeah. Um, and have and have McWright start at seven. But then that's uh, Hooper's or... last test for a year. Well, he's got two games left against Argentina. So. Yeah. Oh, you mean you you rest him this week for Argentina, or do you just don't play? No, him no, no, no. Because we've got two games against Argentina. Yeah, um, yeah. So we rest him for one of those games. I'm not okay. saying for this right, week right. against New Zealand. Anyway, then in the back line, I don't think you make any changes except for um, James O'Connor coming in, and that is the only change that I'll be making in the back line. I think you keep everything else the same because we need a level of continuity, and we don't want to crush the confidence of players like Iro Simone, who may well who did not have a great game. He wasn't shocking, but I think he just needs more time. And if we keep chopping and changing, we're never going to get that level of cohesion or continuity between the players. So I think we just generally pick and stick and recognize that we're freaking playing New Zealand four times in a row and what team in world rugby is going to win more than one out of four. We haven't won one yet. Yeah, I know, but that's my point. <laughs> <laughs> so we drew actually, one. Let's go, which is perfect. Let's go yeah. into game number five. Is Australia disadvantaged by playing New Zealand too often? Now, I put this question in there because I want to say yes. Yeah, I, I actually think for where Australian rugby is right now and the struggles we've had over the last two, three years, I actually think it's detrimental to Australian rugby that we play the Bledisloe Cup uh so we play them so often in both the bledisloe cup and the rugby championship no other team in world rugby plays new zealand as much as we do and i think it has a vastly detrimental impact both upon our confidence as a team but also just general freaking win-loss ratio um i i challenge any team except for maybe south africa to play New Zealand as much as we do and have a better win-loss ratio. But South Africa uh, don't even play them as much as we do. They play them twice a year. Yeah, correct. Home and away. Yeah. Yeah. Argentina play them the same amount. Um, yeah. And in saying that, Argentina have come close the last few years. So they have. Well done to them. We haven't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no it's, uh, this was an interesting question. I was having a chat with my wife about this over dinner this evening. Um, I agree with you that, yes, we are at a massive disadvantage playing them so often. And she doesn't agree. She thinks that we, to be the best, we need to play the best, is her opinion. Um, but I I don't want to say she's wrong. She's got her own opinion. That's fine. Um, I just the think... wife is never wrong. Exactly. Happy wife, happy life. No. Um, <laughs> I just think at the current situation that we're in, if we were starting from zero, so say we were starting from a team who had never played the All Blacks before, we go back to the inception of the Bledisloe Cup, You've got a Wallabies team who is, for this hypothetical situation, a competent rugby team. They play New Zealand for the first few times. They would probably be competitive because they haven't got this baggage of we have to lose New Zealand. We go to now, we play New Zealand so often. We get beaten by big scores so often. We get beaten in Sydney. Like we've, in the last five years, we've won two games, one game. In the last six years. Our record in Sydney is horrific. Our is so bad it doesn't do us any favors now to be playing them because we're not actually getting better by playing New Zealand. Yeah, correct. We're getting yep. worse. It's starting to have emotional baggage and um, mental games on the players 
that they have to play New Zealand so often and they just can't get over it. You look at a team like England who play New Zealand maybe once every two or three years. They kind of play them in a World Cup and then maybe once in that four-year cycle outside of it. And they can be competitive because they spend four years building a game plan to beat the All Blacks. They can get their players up for that one-off game and play their best game in four years and beat them. Fair enough. Good for you. Do it four times a year. Then we'll have a chat. <laughs> exactly. No team in world rugby has to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's- and that's that's the big challenge, isn't it? It's recognizing the difficulty of the quality of New Zealand and the the gap in achievement for where Australia is currently at. And I'm not. I agree, actually, with your wife who's saying to be the best, you've got to play the best. Yeah. But we're nowhere near being the best right now. No. And that's the problem. We're playing, we're just playing a team that's so much better than us. But it doesn't actually always, that's not necessarily true because the best in the world (laughs) currently is South Africa and they got beaten by New Zealand in the first game of the world. Yeah, true. That's a good point. Okay, I think that's enough on that one. Um, Why don't we pause the things here and then gather ourselves for the upcoming rants? Let's take a deep breath and we'll get into it. Okay. Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the fun part. This is where we get to have a (laughs) bit of a rant, get a bit angry, have get some things off our chest. So we'll try and keep this short and sharp. Ando's going to go first. So Ando, over to you. All right. Short and sharp. I'm starting my timer of roughly two minutes starting right now. Okay. I'm a salty Wallaby supporter and I need to accept the fact that I have a very rose tinted or gold tinted view of what's going on here. But at so many points throughout the game, there are key New Zealand indiscretions or infractions that happened in the lead up to tries that didn't get called up that in other times could, and it could have changed the, uh, the, the shape of the game. So for example, in the first try by big Carl who busts over the line, Sam Kane at the back of the mall fakes the pass draws Michael Hooper out before then going in. You are not allowed, according to the laws of the game, to fake at the back of a mall. It is a clear indiscretion that the ref was right in front of and missed. But that he didn't actually said, have the ball. Then overfolded. Is yeah, that, but you're still that... not allowed to fake. Okay. Just you're wondering still not it... allowed to fake the pass coming out the back. Anyway, this is my rant. Get out yep, of it. Go. Um, <laughs> now, the <laughs> other point is that um, in, a, in a try for Dane Coles, who gets his try off the mall in the lead up to it, Alessio gets turned over right after Dane Helwick Petty drops the bomb. Now Alessio has to run back, get the ball. Pattaya is sprinting back to support him. He's going to be the first Wallabies player there to support in the ruck defense. And what happens? He gets pushed over by Bowden Barrett in the back and is on the ground as a result of the push in the back off the ball and can't actually get to the ruck defense. And a ref just completely ignores it and going to turn over. Um, now also following on, uh, a bunch of times. Where was where was the other one? Where was the other one? Uh, yeah, okay. So Yuani scores for New Zealand's uh, fifth try in the corner off a short side scrum. Good try, well done. But the reason why they had that scrum was because an offside call against the Aussies, who were supposedly offside. But the ruck was on the five meter line, and when you pause the play on the screen, they are behind. The Australian players are behind the five meter line without a shadow of a doubt. Like it is as clear as day that they are behind that, the last player in the ruck and well, the first player in the ruck. And it's just so frustrating that these marginal calls are going against Australia. And I think what that is a result of is because New Zealand were dominant in so different, so many different aspects of the game that they are presenting this picture of dominance and superiority to officiating 
who, when there are these 50-50 calls, they go New Zealand's way. And don't get me wrong, New Zealand deserve to win. But it is so hard to just watch and see these little moments like like Sam Whitelock pulling down Rob Simmons multiple times or the jumper multiple times as soon as his feet touch the ground. And then a referee calls it as a tackle. And yet when you actually look into the laws of the game, there's nothing clear that says that you can do that if like has the mall formed or not in most occasions a referee would probably say the mall has formed and so because Whitelock falls to the ground and pulls him down with him that's the sacking of the mall so it should be a penalty to Australia like there's just these moments where you go we're not getting these marginal calls and it's so hard as well to be supported with everything that's against us to also lose so that's me that's my rant I just is so frustrating, but I needed to let that out. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to let that out. <laughs> I mean, I do. <laughs> I do have to say, in yeah, I I agree with everything you've said there. Um, and I do have to say, it makes it even harder that they've got a completely New Zealand refereeing team. So both yeah, the referee yeah. and both touch judges were from New Zealand. Angus Gardner, the one Australian representative, was in the TMO box. Now Angus Gardner didn't do anything wrong this game. He was okay he was fine he had a, he had a big he, workout in the first yeah um, like he was called upon a few times game. and yeah yep. he got all of everything that was sent his way he got correct which is great because he did make a few mistakes in game one but we are in australia now we have um international level referees gardner barry Perrett. gardner barry Perrett, exactly all of these they were actually refereeing in the um australia a game on friday afternoon so Angus yep. was on the touchline, um, Barry was refereeing and Parrott was on Andy the other touch. So yep. just the fact that they've got a complete team, like throw one of the Australians on the touchline to hopefully at least bounce it out a little bit. But it's Yeah, just and look. it's not that we think the New Zealand referees are intentionally biased or anything. It's no. not that. It just, it just removes perceptions of bias. And it's one of the strengths that Rugby Union generally has is generally they're neutral referees. And obviously we can't do that as much because of COVID restrictions on travel. Like I get it. But it's just hard when there are Australian referees that could create a team that is a little bit more balanced. I think that would have been a better look. But anyway, anyway, Mitch, should we should we wind you up for your rant, my friend? Yes. So my rant is around the experience of being out at Bledisloe 3 at ANZ Stadium. Um, now, this one is targeted directly at Rugby Australia um, because the experience was horrible. And take the rugby aside, the outcome of the game. Yep. The experience of being out at the stadium was subpar. Now, I paid $150 for a ticket to go to the stadium. The, t- the seats were okay. They weren't great. They were behind the goal line. Any other sport in Australia, if you paid $150, you'd be sitting on halfway. Wait, you paid $150 to be behind the goals? Behind the goals. Have you seen a photo of where I was sitting? Oh, that's horrific. $150 photo again. to sit behind the goals. It was pouring oh with rain. Goodness. We weren't even undercover. We were sitting in the rain. Now, Rugby Australia realized that they weren't selling tickets leading up to the game. So two days prior, they started selling tickets for $30. Now, I would have paid $30 and been okay to sit up in the boondocks. I was not really okay to pay $150 and sit where I was sitting. Now, outside of that, um, the referees weren't mic'd up, so we couldn't hear anything. The... the, um, the they did have a MC, I guess you'd call him, that was trying to get the crowd engaged, but really they did nothing. The crowd was just not in it at all. When we went to the World Cup in Japan, when there were stops in play, they were playing music. They were showing little videos of rules and things. They were trying to get people engaged. 
they were mm-hmm. explaining what was happening. They were saying there has been a penalty to so-and-so for this reason. The On the board at the stadium, every time there was a penalty blown, what came up was completely wrong. There'd be a ruck penalty and it said joining them all from the side. <laughs> there wasn't even a mall. My parents were sitting asking me why from the side there, there is no. Anyway, aside from that, paid so much money to get there, sat in the rain, and the only yep. food that was available for me to eat was cold sandwiches, sausage rolls, and pies that were priced at like $17 with chips. It's just That's absolutely insane. ridiculous that they expect yep. people to go out, pay this premium amount of money, and then don't offer, like they don't offer a premium product. We didn't even have the option of having uh, hamburgers. There was no burgers available. Yep. It was just pies. And, and I think I think what you're pointing to here is just a really core cool thing that Rugby Australia needs to recognize is that they need to be able, they need to control what they can control. Yeah. So they cannot directly control the performance of the Wallabies on the field. No. Okay. Exactly. Like the, the, the systems they put in place over time will have an influence. Yeah. Okay. But what can they control? They can control the match day experience. And regardless of COVID restrictions, the things that you're just saying in regards to the price and the quality of food, the price of the tickets, the fact that you got shafted 120 bucks for buying a ticket is ridiculous. Mm. Um, and also the fact that there's nothing going on as a form of like entertainment throughout the game. Like when you and I went to a couple of the Waratahs games, it was exactly the same. It was just dire the match day experience of being there live it's actually better to watch it from home exactly um, and i mean and in that situation you, think- you could understand it because we were in the middle of covid the only people that, that could go time, to the yeah, super yeah. rugby games was members. members it was kind of yeah. we were happy to just be at the rugby at that point mm-hmm. this is a completely different scenario we had seen what was happening in new zealand weeks prior it looked like it was fun the crowds were having fun it was packed out yep. it was brilliant yep rugby rugby au needed to deliver on this experience to try and get people involved in the game again. And they just, they did, did nothing. It, they didn't, it didn't feel like they even tried. They weren't giving out banners. They weren't giving out like wallabies, anything to like get people involved. We go to the Waratahs games, they give out little flashy ban- try score banners, that kind of thing. None of that. So it just, it felt tacky. There was no atmosphere. They were trying to do things like um, at halftime, vote for the song you want to be played. Everyone voted for Waltzing Matilda, which is great. We're at a Wallabies game. Do that halfway through the second half or the first half. Play it over the the sound system. Get the the crowd and involved. And have everybody singing you, during the game. Yep. You will create that atmosphere. Yep. By doing that, don't rely on Agreed. the fans to do it because they won't do it. The only thing I we don't have that culture within Australian rugby. Exactly. To have that active fan support. We yeah. need rugby Australia need to take the the lead here and create that atmosphere, and it will grow if they do that. The only thing I want to finish yep. this off with and say, and my my suggestions would be, take the games out of those big stadiums moving forward. Don't play at the SCG. Agreed. Don't yep. play at ANZ anymore. The we don't get the numbers. There's no point charging people 150 to 200 dollars to go to a game and have 30 percent of the stadium full go to anz uh, go to bankrest stadium go to leichardt oval take the games to smaller venues fill it up there would have been it felt like there was more people at the at leichardt oval for the shoot shield grand final than there were out at anz for the wallabies yeah the atmosphere at least was better which is Definitely. just because it's a smaller stadium. So it's exactly. full. So, I mean, look, you wouldn't want to bled as well at Leichhardt. I think Leichhardt's probably too small, but Bankwest 100% would be a fantastic ground for it. Mate, yeah, I, I think, think we should. One. Yeah, let's just finish up with our rent there because we want it to be short and sharp. Um, and why don't we move on now to our predictions for the final Bledisloe Cup game? Let's do it. Let's just go straight into it. 
Let's go straight into it. Okay, cool. So, Bundesliga Cup Game 4 going to be played up at Suncorp Stadium. I assume it's a Saturday night game again, although I haven't actually confirmed that. I think it is, um, yeah. <laughs> so, basically, I am of the opinion that we are going to see an improved Wallabies performance, but that we're still going to win by, but still going to lose by around about 10, 10 points or so. Um, I think that the forwards will continue to front up as they have been, I think that James O'Connor coming back into the team will be a settling influence, both in terms of defensive structures and attacking play. Uh, and I just don't think we'll see the same backline defensive frailties that we saw in game three. So mm-hmm. I expect it to be a bit of a tighter affair. I'm just personally hoping that they return to a bit more of the tactical contestable kicking that we did so well in game one and which has now just disappeared for game two and three. I don't understand why we haven't seen that. Um, I don't see what's so hard, even when New Zealand are putting in ruck pressure to do a contestable box kick once you have the possession and just get your winger up for it. Like Haylett Petty is really good in the air actually be tactical and put him occasionally to go up for a contestable midfield bomb or something like that. I don't know that we just need to be varying things a little bit more um, or at least go back to what works so well in game one. So I think we're still going to lose, but I just want to see more heart and more desire from the Wallabies. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I hope, I don't know what New Zealand are going to do for this game. They've wrapped up the Bledisloe now. They've got three games left of this year. They play us in Brisbane, then they play Argentina twice in Sydney. So I don't know whether they round, see this as their kind of last game of significant um, competition. I don't want to, like this is from their perspective. I'm not saying Argentina aren't going to give them a challenge, but they're in a completely different scenario to the Wallabies. So whether they put their A game out, leave all of their players as this week and just try and run at home and score as many points as they can, or they try and look to the future and um, put some new players in, rest some of the older guys, rest Moana, rest Barrett. I'm not sure what they do. If they do go down the track of resting some of their players, I think the Wallabies may be able to pull it off and, and get a victory being that they will probably put their best foot forward in this game. We're not resting anyone. Yeah, we need I would to agree. Play, yep. pay everyone. If that's yep. the case, maybe we might be able to get sling by with a win, close win, one or two points. Um, if not, if it goes the other way and we just go for the full the full team, yeah, we're probably going to get done by, uh, let's say, 13 points. Yeah, okay. um, so I, I'm, I, by, I'm losing by 10, you're by 13. I'll say it's probably going to be the latter one. So let's just say that New Zealand by 13 for me. Yeah, okay, cool. Yep. Well, mate, I think that's it. We can probably call it a night from here. Is there anything you want to finish up with before we say goodbye to everybody? Well, I just want to say thank you for everyone for listening, uh, for listening to us rant about how bad the Wallabies were. Hopefully, I mean, we want to see them turn things around. We really hope that they can put in a better performance next uh, next week. We know that they are capable of it. They have played well for game one. They didn't play as well for game two. We are on a bit of a downward trajectory. I think Dave Rennie is a good enough coach to pull them out of this. I just don't know if it's going to happen this year. So all I would say is just get behind them, everyone. Don't give up. Don't hang your heads. There is a brighter future coming. Let's just stick with them. And that's the big thing. I just want to finish with that as well. Um, You might've seen Mitch, some of the Facebook stouches I was getting into with people who were just who were just going nuts and saying that the Wallabies 
don't deserve to wear the Australian jersey, that they don't play with any pride, that they are just overpaid, blah, blah, blahs. And I'm like, come on, you armchair blah, blahs who <laughs> are beep, beep. choosing... <laughs> beep beeps who are choosing to denigrate people that have put their time and commitment into a pursuit to a level that probably no, most of us have not in anything in our lives. So the amount of time and effort that it requires to be a professional sportsman is ridiculous. And yes, they get paid for it. Okay. Yeah, sure. But to say, to claim that they lack pride, to claim that they do not care is just not accurate and it's just not fair. You can you can criticize tactics, you can criticize execution, but I just don't think you can criticize them for not caring or having pride for playing for Australia. Um, so similar to what you were saying, my friend, I think we need to support the Wallabies, recognize their failings, but ultimately also cheer them on and hope for a better future knowing that we have so many young players who if we can keep them together over the next 12 to 24 months are really going to in my opinion turn into something special but it's just yep. not going to happen straight away exactly and we just need to recognize that we might be in for some short-term pain for long-term gain so that's kind of my closing thoughts cool no i agree all right mate Let's wrap it up here. Thank you so much, Mitch. Thank you so much, Third Chair, everybody who's listening. It's been fun. <laughs> Have a great week. See you, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Bye.